Blog Talk Radio. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. I would like to welcome you to the February 11th, 2015 edition of the Mask of Zion Report here on the Ugly Truth Broadcasting Network. I am your host, Jonathan Azaziah. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we have an integral program at hand, and we're going to be diving into it almost immediately. As I mentioned uh, on Monday, Brother Mark Glenn is battling a rather uh, debilitating case uh, of uh, uh, the flu, and I am covering for him. And inshallah khair, we may do another program on Friday, but it is not guaranteed uh, as of yet. I have to confer with all of the other hosts at The Ugly Truth to see if they want to take uh, Brother Mark Glenn's spot. If not, we may have another program. We shall see. Uh, and Brother Trevor Labonte, allow me to give him a salute. He is going to be working on a very important project today with an Iranian filmmaker, so he is actually not behind the glass. Uh, I am flying solo on this one, ladies and gentlemen. So I pray that, inshallah, khair, I am coming in loud and clear, and let us dive uh, right into it. Before we tackle the subject of today's program, First, allow me to congratulate the Iranian people on the 36th anniversary of their glorious 1979 Islamic Revolution. There are tens of millions of Iranians in the streets today, including tens of millions in Tehran alone, not to mention at other revolutionary capitals all over the world, Damascus, Caracas, Mas, uh, Moscow, Beirut, and yes, even in Baghdad, where the dangers of Takfiri Mossad terrorism are heavy, there are Iranians as well as Iraqi, Sunni, Shia, and Christian allies of Iran uh, in the street demonstrating for what can only be described as an earth-shattering event. Ayatollah Sayyid Ruhullah Khomeini's ascent uh, to political leadership in Iran, which was backed by a vote of somewhere between 90 and 95 percent of the Iranian people in a democratic referendum calling for Islamic government, was one of the most momentous events in history that has literally changed the face of the globe forever. Since then, International Zionism has done everything in its power, and by everything, I really do mean everything, to dislodge this revolution and reinstall the secularist extremist regime uh, of the Pahlavi dynasty and what the world knows uh, as the Shah. You see, ladies and gentlemen, in the wake of the Islamic revolution coming to power, the Zionist entity, the Gulf regimes, which are run by Wahhabi tyrants, and the American regime, as well as MI6 in the UK, plotted to overthrow the revolution almost immediately. 
they decided to use their ally in Iraq, Saddam Hussein, to invade Iran and put the revolution down. And as revealed by Viktor Ostrovsky, the former uh, Qasa in the Mossad, the Mossad was not only aiding and abetting Saddam during the war, they were even positioning his missiles from Israeli satellites. Despite their best efforts, the power configuration of international Jewry failed to dislodge the revolution. After that, they attempted to assassinate Ayatollah Sayyid Khomeini on more than one occasion. When that failed and the Imam eventually passed away to a world far, far better than this one, the monsters began implementing sanctions and from sanctions began assassinations and from assassinations began the training uh, arming and financing as well as uh, logistical pro as well as providing logistics to numerous groups in various breakaway provinces of Iran, including the MEK, Jundallah, PJAC, and others. And even now, ladies and gentlemen, the war that began with the the war on the Islamic world that began with the invasion of Afghanistan and the subsequent invasion of Iraq, as well as the current destabilization of Syria. And ladies and gentlemen, even the war on Libya, Iran was at the very heart of each and every one of these maniacal Zionist operations. Why? Because Iran is smack right dab in the middle of Afghanistan in Iraq. What the Americans were hoping to do at the behest of their Jewish masters was completely eviscerate Iraq and Afghanistan with little resistance, and then they would have Iran cornered and they could invade Iran from both sides. That did not happen. As the Afghan resistance and the Iraqi resistance, which was multi-ethnic and cross-sectarian, bogged down American occupation forces, not to mention the covert forces uh, comprised of the CIA, MI6, Mossad, Blackwater, and others. And they failed to do so, not to mention Maliki, who seemed like an American puppet in the very beginning, turned out to be a much, much more wily politician than the neocons running Bush's administration figured. And he turned out to be a very close ally of Iran and helped usher in an era in Iraq free of American military bases and free of Western oil domination. Now, this failed, ladies and gentlemen. In Libya, despite the rocky relationship between Muammar Gaddafi and the Islamic Revolution because of Gaddafi's role in the disappearance of Sayyid Musa al-Sadr, the fact of the matter was is that Iran and Libya had a working relationship, and this war was conducted to undermine Iran's influence in Africa, as is much of Mossad's activity on the continent, as I revealed in my two-part series, The Zionist Infestation of Africa, on maskofzion.com, nearly four years ago. 
And of course, the war on Syria, ladies and gentlemen. Sayyid Hassan Nasrallah, the Hezbollah Secretary General, has repeatedly called Syria the backbone of the resistance axis, which is comprised of Hezbollah, the Syrian Arab Republic, and the Islamic Republic of Iran, as well as the Palestinian resistance factions. And this war, this Takfiri insurgency, bankrolled by the Gulf, and aided and abetted by numerous imperialist powers with the usurping Zionist regime at the top, is meant to break the links in the axis of resistance and undermine Iran's policy within Bilad al-Sham. And they are failing, ladies and gentlemen. They are failing all over the place. So... When we see the remarkable steadfastness of the Iranian people, mashallah, when we see their unwillingness to compromise, when we see their revolutionary fervor despite so much Jewish cultural imperialist subversion, when we see the dedication to the dream, the teachings, and the ideology, the Husseini ideology put forth by Ayatollah Sayyid Ruhullah Khomeini, it truly is something to marvel at, though, ladies and gentlemen, that the Iranian people who have faced so much torment over the last hundred years, beginning with the British Holocaust of Iranian citizens, nearly eight million at the lowest, 11 million at the highest, 8 to 11 million Iranian victims starved to death by Rothschild-financed British imperialism in the wake of World War I, an event that just about nobody on earth seems to remember, not to mention the brutal rule of the Shah's regime in which tens of thousands of Iranians were disappeared, tens of thousands more killed and tens of thousands more disappeared and tortured. And yet they have risen in the wake of decades of colonialism, decades of dictatorship, in a decade nearly of war, proxy war at the hands of Zio imperialism. And 36 years, ladies and gentlemen, 36 years of Zionist imperialist subversion, and the Islamic Republic is still standing and still finding ways to prosper. So it is fitting, ladies and gentlemen, that we open up our program with this ode to the Islamic Revolution. Because the topic of today's program is the intra-Jewish gang war and the entry of a third party to the conflict. I believe, ladies and gentlemen, it was Michael Collins Piper, but I could be wrong. It could have been Brother Mark Glenn. It could have been both of them on the same program. It's hard for me to recall because we have been talking about this here on the Ugly Truth Broadcasting Network for so long, but it indeed was uh, the godfathers of this network Martin Glenn and Michael Collins Piper, who initially formulated the theory that there was a gang war going on within the upper echelons of the power centers of international Jewry, 
in which the left wing and right wings were at each other's throats on the best way to usher in the New World Order. Later on, I provided further commentary, breaking it down as simply put neocons versus neolibs, and discussed the ideological differences between the two, as well as the operational and logistical differences. And that has been the discussion, brothers and sisters, over the last three and a half to four years, that you have the liberal Zionists who are controlling the Obama administration, preferring the human rights imperialism, the humanitarian intervention, the Arab Spring slash color revolution model, whereas the neocons who represent the old god of the era of the new Pearl Harbor who just want to crash and bang everyone and everything. It has created a robust conflict in Washington, in Tel Aviv, in New York, in Los Angeles, in Miami, in Brussels, in London and within the city of London itself, Canberra in Australia, in which the forces of those who hate Messiah Isa alayhi salam and the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam, how are they going to get the goyim across the world under control? How? Well, ladies and gentlemen, there was a time where this war was relegated to the shadows and only the most astute analysts and commentators had the courage to discuss it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am here to tell you that it is now out in the open. You see the liberal Zionists in the usurping Jewish regime led by Herzog and Livni at the neocon Zionists' throats. And this coalition, of course, is led by Benjamin Netanyahu, Avigdor Lieberman, and New York-born Jewish settler Naftali Bennett. In the halls of power, you see the liberal Zionists who have constructed this path to Persia, if you will, the cultural subversion to Persia, going to war with the neocons who would much rather just unleash America's air power and bomb Iran back to the Stone Age. Regardless of the fact that Iran is not Iraq, Iran is not Syria, Iran is not Libya, Iran is not a pushover regime, it's not some kind of banana republic. Iran is a well-functioning, modern and advanced state with a modern and advanced military that has a decade in direct experience of guerrilla warfare. And several decades more of guerrilla warfare training through Hezbollah and the various factions of the Palestinian resistance. If there was an invasion of Iran, then the prophecies in the Ahadith, the authentic Ahadith, that the armies of the Jal will come to an end and face their final defeat at the hands of the Black Flag Army in Khorasan. Khorasan is a region that comprises the mountainous areas of Iran, 
as well as Pakistan and Afghanistan. The forces of Dajjal, which in this case are indeed the forces of Shaitanic international Jewry, would die at the hands of the army of the Islamic Revolution. And the liberal Zionists recognize this, ladies and gentlemen. They do. And it is for this reason they have set the Obama regime on a path to negotiation. Now, we spoke about this, brothers and sisters, last year, or excuse me, back in 2013, at the end of 2013. And we said very clearly that we welcome the nuclear deal with Iran. A rapprochement between the Americans and the Iranian government would only be beneficial to the Iranian people and the American people. The Iranian people have thousands of years of wondrous history to offer to the American people. And the sanctions have prevented these two great peoples from getting along with one another, reaching out to one another. And there are other forces at play as well. You have classical Arabists and Islamic scholars. <clears throat> Excuse me. You have classic Arabists, Persianists, and Islamic scholars who would love nothing more than to have these cultural exchanges opened up between these conservative persons and the Islamic Republic. The liberal Jews, on the other hand, ladies and gentlemen, see themselves as being able to infiltrate the Islamic Republic of Iran, much like Benjamin Netanyahu attempted to do himself many, many years ago when he met with a gang of Jewish billionaires, including Haim Saban and Ronald Lauder, and plotted with them to buy uh, television satellite services in which they could broadcast highly sexualized American TV a.k.a. Jewish filth, as well as softcore pornography into Iran to begin changing the minds of the youth. So the liberal Zionists want to get back into Iran. They want to backdoor in. And if even a single American cultural center, or if Allah, God forbid, an American embassy were to open up in Tehran, a den of spies, as the Islamic Revolution called it, 36 years ago, then the process of destabilizing Iranian society and taking it away from the pureness and the righteousness and the guidance of Islam would begin. The liberal Zionists feel that this is the best way to do it. And they feel that the neocons are throwing a monkey wrench into their plan. Now, the basis of our discussion tonight centered around the uh, third party of the conflict going on between various factions of international Jewry. There was going to be a particular story I wanted to discuss, and that was the quote-unquote revelation released by the Washington Post and also by Newsweek about the CIA having a hand in the assassination of Haj Redwan, a.k.a. Haj Imad Mughniya, the most legendary uh, and most prolific commander that has ever stepped out of the Lebanese Islamic resistance. This was the man who was known as the commander of the two victories. 
He guided the Lebanese Islamic resistance to a victory on May 25, 2000, when South Lebanon was liberated, and he, and he guided the forces of Hezbollah into victory in 2006 over the usurping Jewish regime in the July War. And then, ladies and gentlemen, he began rebuilding the Mokawama's arsenal in the wake of that war. To say that this was a man of stature, to say that this was a man who truly is incapable of being described with even the most eloquent positionings of the English language would be an understatement. There was never anyone like Imad Mughniyeh, and there never will be anyone like him ever again. There will be other phenomenal resistance commanders, others who will take their place in the upper echelons of the resistance's storied history, but there will never be anyone like Imad Mughniyeh. So this story, ladies and gentlemen, was a surprise to me and other persons who have uh, ingratiated themselves into the glorious history of the resistance because two years ago, just uh, a week after the anniversary of Hazimad Mughniyeh's assassination on February 12, 2008, on February 19th, two years ago, Al-Akbar published a groundbreaking investigation which was coordinated with the Hezbollah Investigation Unit that was looking into Mossad's assassination of Haj Mughniyeh. And it was called exclusive, The Final Hours of Imad Mughniyeh. And it was documented that this was a Mossad operation from A to Z. It took about six weeks. It used an asset who was living outside of Syria, but returned to Damascus quite frequently. And the weapon that was used was very, very similar to a weapon that has been used against several resistance leaders in Lebanon and abroad. So it was a similar weapon. So when I read this story from the Washington Post, and as we know, the Washington Post is the mouthpiece of the CIA. It is the mouthpiece of the Mossad. And the Mossad and the CIA have been dumping stories there uh, dumping leaks there for quite some time. We know this. And the first thing that I noticed about the story was that it did not quote any official on the record. They were all anonymous. And what's so very interesting about this story, ladies and gentlemen, is that the persons who were created, uh, excuse me, the persons who were quoted by name, by rank, and by serial number, all said they had no knowledge of the operation whatsoever. There was one particular part of the story, though, that was extremely revealing. And that is when, later on in the story, I would say maybe midway through or maybe even 65% through, the Mossad claimed that it also had Quds Force Commander Qasem Soleimani <laughs> in their sights with Mughniya as well, but there wasn't an order from President Bush to kill them, or to kill him rather. There was a kill order for Mughniya, but not a kill order for Qasem Soleimani. Now, what makes this story so ridiculous, ladies and gentlemen, apart from this right here, which uh, betrays the arrogance 
that is so commonplace within the Jewish psyche, and particularly the Jewish psyche of the Netanyahu regime, what was most revealing about it is that they failed to mention that while the CIA and the Mossad indeed have worked together on numerous occasions, and we know that the precursor to the CIA, the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services, was overridden with Jews, and there were Jews leading their operations divisions and even their recruiting divisions. And there has been a pro-Jewish, pro-Zionist slant in the CIA for quite some time. There is also an American nationalist streak, as well as an American imperialist streak within the CIA. And the American nationalist and American imperialist streaks within the CIA do not like the Mossad. They don't. And there are conflicts within the highest levels of these intelligence services. And the Americans want to get rid of Imam Mughniya for their own reasons. So it makes absolutely no sense that they would coordinate with the Israelis, especially in recent years, considering that it was the Mossad who posed as the CIA in recruiting agents of Jumbalah the Baluch terrorist organization, the Baluch Takfiri terrorist organization that has been attempting to destabilize Iran and that has been destabilizing the border areas in Pakistan for quite some time now, nearly a decade. If the CIA had a shot at Imad Mughniya, they would take it, just like they did with Ayatollah Sayyid Muhammad Hussein Fadlallah all the way back in 1985, an operation that was coordinated with none other than Bandar ibn Israel, a.k.a. Bandar Bush. On top of that, we are talking about the Washington Post, brothers and sisters. Again, a neocon CIA Mossad mouthpiece that at its very root is pro-Israel versus Al-Akhbar, a newspaper which has several reporters who have contacts within the Mukawama itself. Which outlet are you going to trust? In my personal opinion, Al-Akbar opened and closed the case with their investigation in 2013. And this story, published by the Washington Post, was a direct contradiction of Al-Akbar's story. Because Al-Akbar says that the bomb was very much like the bombs that Mossad had used on previous occasions, whereas this story had the grandiose idea that the CIA tested the bomb about two dozen times, give or take, in North Carolina before getting it right and putting it to use in Damascus. It's poppycock, ladies and gentlemen. Poppycock and Balderdash. There was a reason why this story was leaked. And no, all of the analysts from the House of Saud bought off March 14 clowns in Lebanon, as well as the phalangist forces of Samir Jaja uh, and the Jumayils are absolutely off base. 
This is not Israel's way of responding to Sayyid Hassan Nasrallah as if to say, ha ha, we got help from the Americans and you still haven't avenged your legendary commander. Or you haven't avenged your, your legendary commander. The answer is, ladies and gentlemen, Hezbollah has not avenged Imad Mughniya as of yet because they have not found the appropriate target. There was a famous quote from Sayyid Hassan Nasrallah in the wake of Haj Imad's assassination, where the Sayyid said, I swear to you, O Zionists, you will carry your tanks, officers, and soldiers, and your army will be humiliated at the feet of Imad Mughniyeh. Imad Mughniyeh has left for you tens of thousands of trained and determined fighters ready for martyrdom. So the fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, that avenging Haj Imad Mughniyeh is indeed on Hezbollah's list, as indeed is the, uh, the uh, <clears throat> is revenge for uh, Hassan al-Laqis, who has been called the digital Imad Mughniya, who was assassinated back in 2013 also by a Mossad death squad. So that has nothing to do with it. Absolutely not. A story like this, ladies and gentlemen, is not published uh, within a couple of days, thrown together as if it was some kind of TV dinner that you pull out of the freezer. This is a story that takes months and months to craft, both to get the unofficial, uh, and you could put in parentheses, the propagandistic or the Hasbaranic sources, and then the official sources, which add some kind of context uh, to the varying degrees of the story. No, ladies and gentlemen, this story was leaked by none other than Benjamin Netanyahu's people at the Washington Post, to do damage to the nuclear negotiations, which, if you are following the media, are reaching a fever pitch as we speak and are coming very, very close to a close. So the stories at the Washington Post, as well as Newsweek, which was a lesser but nevertheless very interesting propagandistic take on it, were leaked by Netanyahu's allies within the mainstream media. The reason for the leak was to do damage to the nuclear negotiations, overthrow the neoliberals' plot, and reassert American foreign policy on the track of Netanyahu and the neocons' worldview. That was the reason for it. But what the neocons and Netanyahu do not understand like Sayyid Hassan Nasrallah noted in his last speech, the Iranian nuclear file, again, is something completely separate from every other file. And this is something that we touched on in our program the other day. Iran's missile program is off the table. Iran's support for the Palestinian cause is off the table. Iran's support for the Lebanese Islamic resistance is off the table. There is nothing on the table in these negotiations. Not an embassy, not a cultural center, 
not a dumbing down of Iran's rhetoric or a dumbing down of Iran's role in the region. Nothing is on the table but coming to an agreement that Iran has an Islamically approved, non-threatening, non-weaponized, peaceful civilian nuclear program, and they want the sanctions removed so the yoke around their people's necks can be removed. And Netanyahu betrayed his hand, ladies and gentlemen, with the dig at Qasem Soleimani, Allah yahmi ya Rab, as well as a dig at Imam Mughmiya himself when, when they had a former director of the Mossad, Ephraim Halevi, say within the context of the peace that, that Mughmiya was an agent of the Iranians. Now, no doubt, ladies and gentlemen, that Hajimad Mughmiya uh, was very close uh, to Iran, politically, militarily, uh, religiously, ideologically, Imam Mughmiya was really got his start with the Revolutionary Guard after years on the front line, first as a bodyguard of the PLO and later as a fighter uh, in the resistance forces that would soon make up Hezbollah. But what the Jews do not understand is that the Iranians are not like them, and this is what they will never understand. The Jews, through their twisted, supremacist, and backwards religious lens, view the Iranians as the direct descendants of Amalek. They view the Iranians today as the living manifestation of what an Amalekite is, a savage, Jew-hating barbarian that cannot wait, that cannot wait to lick his lips with the blood of a Jew. This is the twisted thought of the Zionists today regarding Iran. What they do not know is that the Iranians today are a patient, calculated, intelligent, creative, almost mechanized people that do not let their emotions get the best of them. And the Persians historically have always possessed these traits. And it was increased a thousandfold by their entry into the fray of Islam. The Iranians are not going to get rattled because of a ridiculous story in the Washington Post or Newsweek. The Iranians are not going to get rattled by stupid threats from the Netanyahu regime. The nuclear negotiations were sanctioned at the highest level by Ayatollah Sayyid Ali Khamenei himself. And therefore, the Iranian government of Sheikh Hassan Rouhani is going to see this through until the time is up. So that really, brothers and sisters, is not the big story. It's no mystery that these people, the neocons, want to derail the neoliberals in their quest to conquer Iran culturally and subversively. It's not a secret. What we have also seen is Netanyahu saying he's going to come give a speech in the beginning of March to, Ameri to the American Congress to sway them from pursuing this path because he wants to stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is where the third party to the intra-Jewish gang war comes into the fray. The biggest complaint that the neoliberals have about Netanyahu. The biggest complaint is that he is overplaying 
he is overplaying the Israelis' hand, the Jews' hand, really. It's not just the Israelis, but international Jewry as a whole. I was speaking uh, to Brother Pede Monsanto, uh, my dear friend, my engineer, and one of the co-founders of Mukawama Music, although his role has been more, uh, has been more uh, symbolic than operational, if you will, but inshallah in the coming uh, days, weeks, and months, that will change. And Brother Payday and I were discussing that this is what always happens. Every time that the Jews have been expelled from a particular country, over 109 times throughout the course of history, it gets to a point where they have simply overplayed their hand, and the Goyim have had enough. People realize that resistance isn't futile, resistance is Gentile, they rise up, and the Jews are forced to leave. Now, we are in an unprecedented time in Jewish history. While the book, The Jewish Century, by Yori Skelzin, was written uh, many, many years ago, I believe 20 years ago, if I'm not mistaken, that described uh, the last 100 years as the Jewish century, we are entering another Jewish century, a time where Jewish wealth, power, influence, ownership of things, are at levels that have never been seen before in history, not even in Germany before the rise of National Socialism. So because of the control of the information flow that the Jews have today, it's much easier for them to deflect criticism of their role in society. But with the rise of the Internet, the rise of the citizen journalists, the rise of the awakening that is taking place now and that has been taking place every single day since the July War of 2006 in Lebanon, the Jews cannot contain the ayah forever. In a more subtle, more subversive way, is obviously going to keep the Jewish power project in play for a much longer period. Obviously. But there is another party to the conflict, ladies and gentlemen, and there has never been a discussion about this prior to right now. And this really is an extension of our program the other night. What Israel is, ladies and gentlemen, we began our discussion uh, the other day with a discussion about the character of the Israeli regime vis-a-vis -vis the idea of colonialism. Well, brothers and sisters, Israel, because of the unique nature of the Jew in the Western world, Israel has the unique distinction of being a place where the Jew can find refuge. This is something that we all know. But what has never been discussed is that Israel is more than a colonial outpost for world Jewry or a home for world Jewry. What Israel is to world Jewry is a base for their criminal activity. And everything that they are engaged in, apartheid policies, discrimination in 48 Palestine, brutal discrimination at that, I might add, 
The genocidal wars that are waged every couple of years to satisfy the ritualistic bloodlust of its population. The ethnic cleansing, the home demolitions, the shootings, the repression of protests. All of these things, ladies and gentlemen, are meant to preserve the existence of Israel as a base for world Jewry's criminal activity and continued domination of the Gentile world. So when the neocons and neoliberals are arguing about the best way to contain Iran, it is more than that, ladies and gentlemen. It is the best way to preserve their new world order. And in the wake of Netanyahu announcing he's going to give this speech to Congress, and there have been a multitude of stories and non-stories regarding it, which I will not get into here, that he planned it behind Obama's back, uh, that now Netanyahu and his team are thinking about making certain changes to the speech, the polls uh, within the usurping Zionist regime. All of these issues don't matter, brothers and sisters. What matters is the fact that the world of the Jews is imploding. And the third party to this conflict, ladies and gentlemen, is none other than within the ranks of the Solidarity Movement. It is the Jews within the ranks of the Solidarity Movement who started a website called Skip the Speech. And Philip Weiss, the head of Mondo Weiss, the very popular uh, Jewish Palestine Solidarity blog slash website, wrote a story just two days ago in which he was hoping that Netanyahu will give the speech because that way there will finally be a discussion out in the open, in the mainstream, led by who else but anti-Zionist, quote-unquote anti-Zionist Jews, about what the Israel lobby is. So, you see, ladies and gentlemen, the solidarity activist Jews want Netanyahu to go ahead with it because that way they could take their watered-down Palestine discourse, which is now totally devoid of liberationism, totally devoid of radicalism, into the mainstream. And they can then supplant the position of the liberal Zionists when it comes to Palestine discourse. And this is quite dangerous, ladies and gentlemen, because here is where the neoliberals, the neocons, and the solidarity activist Jews all collide, coincide, and mesh. Mondo Weiss, as many of you should know, is notorious for banning commenters who bring up 9-11 historical revisionism or even the relationship between Zionism and Judaism and communism. They do not want to have 
these discussions. Let me say that again. Mondo Weiss bans all discussion on 9-11 truth, Holocaust revisionism, and Judaism. They have no problem referring to people as anti-Semites and conspiracy theorists. Does it sound familiar, brothers and sisters? Does it sound familiar? So while the neocons and neolibs disagree on the best way to run uh, the Jewish-occupied American regime's imperialism, and while the neocons, neolibs, and solidarity activists all, all uh, disagree on the best way to run the existence of Israel, they all operate on the same principle, brothers and sisters. What is good for the Jews? And they are all in agreement about the hollow fraud, 9-11, and Jewish culture as well as the Jewish religion. They are in agreement about those things. So are they really adversaries? Because I know many of you will argue with me. Many of those who do not know how ugly the truth is. Many of you will argue with me and tell me, no, these are decent people. Well, as I have said many times on this program, in fact, I was just saying uh, to my dear brother Naveed Khan, a.k.a. Converse, uh, Converse, excuse me, the other day, I was just saying to the brother that this has really become like a talking point for me, and I think I might have mentioned it to Brother Trevor Labonte as well. I want you to take both of your hands, put them both in the air, and then count, count how many Jews there are in the world who call for the total liberation of Palestine and the expulsion of the Jewish occupiers from their land. From that land, excuse me. It's not their land, as in it's not the Jews' land, but it's the Palestinian people's land. Count them. Can you? I think, ladies and gentlemen, there might be five to ten, and ten is really, really pushing it, and just about all of the persons I have on my head aren't Jewish anymore. They abandoned Judaism completely, which is something that we have also tackled and said on this program numerous times, that the only way for a Jewish person to liberate himself is to leave Judaism. A Jew must become a Gentile for him to get rid of the stink and the filth and the corrosiveness of the Jewish culture and religion. Or allow me to correct myself and say the Jewish culture and Jewish cult. Because that's what Judaism is, ladies and gentlemen. It is a blood-sacrificing, ritualistic cult. So the intra-Jewish gang war now has a third party. And it is here, ladies and gentlemen, where we will begin to close down our program. The solidarity activists, and I have put forward this thesis before, but I'm going to repeat it now. I am of the opinion, and I do not have the data to back this up, so it is only a hypothesis, that's all. In the wake of the liberation of South Lebanon, there were many Jews who had worked within the human rights paradigm for many years, and while they were uh, 
vociferous and vehement supporters of the criminal existence of the Jewish quote-unquote state. They did solidarity work in the West Bank uh, and Gaza while still preserving the existence of Israel, as we know it today. But in the wake of Hezbollah's triumph over the usurping Jewish regime in 2000, the alarm bells began ringing off in the minds of many of these human rights Jews, and they began to gravitate towards what at the time was a more radical position, which was a, a binational state in which Jews and Palestinians live in. Then the 2006 war came around with Hezbollah laying waste to the usurping Zionist regime's forces on the battlefield. And the alarm bells went off in the human rights Jews again. And it is after these two momentous events that solidarity activists began seeing a rise in the Jews in their ranks. And then after Cass led, because of the sheer carnage inflicted by the Zionist enemy's murderous, baby-killing, Gentile-hating forces, that more Jews came into the mix. Why? Because what they realized, ladies and gentlemen, is that the existence of Israel is indeed finite. You see, when the Rothschilds and the Schiffs and the Arisons and the Warburgs began financing Jewish emigration to Palestine all the way back in the late 1870s and early 1880s, they planned this out for the long haul. When the Nakba happened and all of the ethnic cleansing terroristic operations before it carried out by the Jewish terrorist gangs like the Ergon. The fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, that they were in this to preserve the existence of Israel in totality. And they thought that by taking control of the foreign policy of Western governments, they would be able to ensure the existence of Israel forever. Forever. That is the reality. Hezbollah with the help of the Syrian Arab Republic and the Islamic Revolution in Iran, overturned this concept. Not only did they overturn it, they shattered it. Hezbollah killed the Greater Israel Project in 2000, and Hezbollah killed the New Middle East Project, also known as the Greater Middle East Project, in 2006. Hezbollah killed them both. And solidarity activists began to realize, solidarity activist Jews, that is, began to realize that if they do not enter the fray and begin shaping the discourse, directing the discourse in a way that would not cancel out the existence of Israel, if they didn't do that, then maybe, ladies and gentlemen, there would not be a need for Jonathan Azaziah, Mark Glenn, Michael Collins Piper, and Trevor Labonte, as well as Payday Monsanto, 
Naveed Khan, Pastor Mark Dankoff, Brother Max French, and Brother Alexander, as well as Brother Sami Ibrahim, here today. Maybe, ladies and gentlemen, we would not be necessary, or on the flip side, maybe we would have our voices all across the world in an even bigger fashion than we do today. The Jews saw the discourse changing, ladies and gentlemen, and they stepped in to police it. That is why we have to liberate the discourse, and that is why we declared just two days ago that the rules of engagement with the solidarity activist Jews are through. They no longer mean anything to us. We do not respect the rules of engagement because there are none. The solidarity Jews and their allies, like Weiss and Blumenthal and Abu Nima, and the whole lot of them, the whole lot of them, are fair game. They're open targets, just like any neocon or neolib world breaker or world holder is. That's the reality. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, the solidarity activist Jews do not want Netanyahu to give this speech so they could end the power structure, power structures rather, that the Jews have sway over here in America and other parts of the Western world, not to mention in other uh, parts of the world like Argentina, Chile, or Brazil. The Jews want their representatives to skip Netanyahu's speech and they would like Netanyahu to deliver it so they can show that neocon and neoliberal Zionism is not the way, that their way is the right way, something that was diagnosed by Palestinian luminary Mahida Izat, a.k.a. Mahida the exiled Palestinian many years ago, as morphing Zionism, and which is something that I have expounded upon many times through the years. Morphing Zionism is what the solidarity activists represent. And it is a way to convince the world that Palestinians and Jews, in other words, the colonized and the colonizers, can live together in harmony. So the intra-Jewish gang war, brothers and sisters, that we have seen unfold over the last several years in the wake of the Arab Spring now has a third party to the conflict. It is the neo-libs versus the neocons versus the solidarity activist Jews, and they are all vying for what is good for the Jews. They are all vying for the preservation of the putrefying cancerous tumor known as Israel in the heart of the Arab and Islamic world. So it is now up to us, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, it is now up to us to say that we see everything for what it is. And while the Jews have attempted to pull the wool over our eyes, while the Jews have tried to engage in one psyop after another, whether it is on a grand scale, like WikiLeaks, the Arab Spring, and Edward Snowden, or whether it is on a smaller scale, like the release of this ridiculous story in the Washington Post about the CIA having a hand in killing Imam Mughniyeh, 
We see through all of it. And we are here to declare that we are not going to accept the solidarity discourse the way it is. And it is for this reason that the ugly truth in Mukawama music exists. For this reason and this reason alone, we believe in the resistance axis. We believe in Hezbollah. We believe in Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and the PFLP, as well as the popular resistance committees. We believe in the Syrian Arab Republic. We believe, again, in the Islamic Revolution. We believe in the Bolivarian Revolution that has taken a hold in Latin America and countries like Nicaragua, Venezuela, Bolivia, and Ecuador, just to name a few. We believe in Vladimir Putin. We believe in Yubik in Hungary. We believe, brothers and sisters, in the anti-Jewish supremacist, anti-Zionist resistance on an individual and state level all over the world. We believe in it. We believe in our hearts that we can win. Because like it says in the Quran, ladies and gentlemen, the party of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, will be victorious. And those who strive for Islamic Christian unity, those who strive those who are engaged in jihad against international Zionism and all of its marionettes will be victorious in the end. Maybe not in our lifetime, my dear brothers and sisters. Maybe not even in our children's lifetime, but in our grandchildren's lifetime or our great-grandchildren's lifetime, Israel will cease to exist and international Jewry will be dislodged from power. Because the forces of resistance will not break, ladies and gentlemen. And that, is, and, that is, and that is why it is so very important, critical even, that we must reflect on where we are and see how the enemy is moving. And what I have just discussed today is a revolutionary shift in the paradigm. It is a revolutionary switch in the discourse, and it is another block in the staircase that we are building towards the final victory over international Zionism. The neo-libs represent cultural subversion. That is their imperialism. The neocons represent overt war. That is their imperialism. And the Solidarity Activist Jews represent the kind of infiltration within radical and activist circles that could leave a movement completely and totally deaded. That is their imperialism. So as the intra-Jewish war boils over with now a third party entering the conflict. Allow me to say, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, death to Israel, death to the forces of international Zionism 
into hell with any individual working on their behalf, be they neocon, neolib, or a solidarity activist pretending to be our friend. We see through you, gatekeepers, and we know you are not our friends. You are merely another cog in the international machine of Zionism. We see you exactly for what you are, and we are going to slam the nail home. We are going to hammer the nail home about 9-11 truth, the supremacy of Judaism and Jewish culture, as well as historical revisionism over and over and over again until the global north and global south, the east and west, Muslims, Christians, and everybody in between are awake. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to salute the great people of Iran on the 36th anniversary of the Islamic Revolution. I would like to say, Allah yirhamu, rest in peace. May God rest the soul of Imad Mughniya, the great commander of the two victories and arguably the most intense resistance fighter we will ever see in our lifetime. May he rest in power and may he and his son, Jihad Mughniya, and his friend, Muhammad Abu Isa Isa, now finally find peace in the Akhirah, far away from this miserable, Judaically corrupted world. And ladies and gentlemen, inshallah khair ya rab, inshallah khair ya rab, may we finally see a day before we join Imad Mughniya, Jihad Mughniya, and Abu Isa in the afterlife. May we see the end of this division within our ranks and let us direct our weaponry at each individual faction of the Jewish New World Order, neocons, neolibs, and the solidarity activist Jews who are posing as our friends. Let us hit them, ladies and gentlemen, and let us hit them hard until there is nobody left standing to direct this discourse towards liberation but those of us who genuinely care for and those of us who genuinely love the cause of resistance in the cause of Palestine's liberation from the river to the sea, in the cause of justice for everyone who has suffered under the yoke of international Jewry for the last hundred years, be it the victims of Germany, the victims of Japan, the victims in Russia who suffered under Bolshevism, the victims' families on 9-11, 7-7, and others, or the martyrs in Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, Syria, Yemen, Somalia, Pakistan, Kashmir, Lebanon, and the various parts of occupied Palestine. We are here, ladies and gentlemen, for liberation and justice, and we are here for victory. That concludes the February 11th, 2015 edition of the Mask of Zion Report here on the Ugly Truth Broadcasting Network. I am your host, Jonathan Azaziah. We will see you again very, very shortly, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. Thank you for listening, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.